last week, uh, in my absence, he dealt with Lord's Day 21, and my understanding was that it was mainly the first half that was covered, so today we'll deal with the second half, and in connection with that, we will read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians chapter 12. Hear the word of God. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, So it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles... Are all prophets? 
Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. So far. Let's turn to Lord's Day 21 together as well. Lord's Day 21 of the Catechism. We're going to read the verses, or sorry, the um, questions 55 and 56 together. What do you understand by the communion of saints? First, that believers, all and everyone, as members of Christ, have communion with him and share in all his treasures and gifts. Second, that everyone is duty-bound to use his gifts readily and cheerfully for the benefit and well-being of the other members. What do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? I believe that God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins, nor my sinful nature against which I have to struggle all my life, but will graciously grant me the righteousness of Christ that I may never come into condemnation. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this afternoon we're dealing with the second half of Lord's Day 21. Last week he dealt with the first half, which focused on the doctrine of the church. The question was, what do you believe concerning the holy Catholic Christian church? And the first part of Lord's Day 21 answers that question, but then it goes on to talk about the communion of saints. It goes on to talk about the church members, and it says that believers, all and everyone, as members of Christ, have communion with him and share in all his treasures and gifts. In other words, every believer is gifted. Now, we like the sound of that. A church member is someone who is gifted. Everyone likes being told that they're gifted because it means that you're somehow ahead of other people. Now, we're all a little bit competitive by nature. We like, in our different areas, to get ahead of each other. It's human nature to compare yourself to others, even in the church. But the problem with that mindset, when you apply to church, is that you begin to lose sight of what the spiritual gifts are for. We read a passage from the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Corinthians this afternoon, and it seems that, that Paul was, uh, the Corinthian church had written a number of questions to Paul, and in this letter he's responding to them. So to some degree we need to reconstruct the question based on the answer that he gives. And it seems that one of their problems was that they were divided on this question of gifts. To be specific, they were divided on the question of spiritual gifts. 
These Corinthians were saying that some gifts are more important than others. So Paul needs to convince these people that you should not rank gifts in order of importance. Every gift has a place in the body. Every gift serves a specific purpose. Every church member needs the other church members in order to function. And it also seems that some of these people that were writing to Paul were not feeling all that gifted themselves. They were feeling discouraged. To sit, they were sitting in a pew with what they considered to be the more gifted members, and they found that discouraging. So Paul wants to encourage these people as well. So this afternoon we're going to use this reading from his first letter to the Corinthians as a lens to focus on the first, the second half of Lord's Day 21. And as we do so, we will discover you did not become a church member because you are gifted, but you are gifted because you are a church member. You didn't become a church member because you're gifted, but you're gifted because you are a church member. How do we know? Because a church is the body of Christ. We are all members of the body of Christ, and the catechism summarizing Scripture says that this means that each and every one of us is gifted. We're all members of Christ's body. Because we are all members of Christ's body, we have gifts. And because we are all members of Christ's body, we must use our gifts. So the first question we need to answer is, what does the word gift actually mean? What does it refer to? And in the Greek language, the word gift is based on the word grace. Gift and grace are connected. What that means is that a gift is something that we receive by grace. A gift is given by grace. And that means it is something undeserved. It is something extra. It is something that you didn't have coming, but you receive it anyway. Now, man was created with gifts in the beginning. The canons of Dort remind us of that in chapter 3, 4, article 1. When it says, in the beginning man was created in the image of God. He was adorned in his mind with true and wholesome knowledge of his creator and of all spiritual things. His will and his heart were upright, all his affections pure, and therefore man was completely holy. So man was profoundly gifted in the beginning, and the very first gift was knowledge of God. And man also had the ability to discern spiritual things. He had an upright heart and will, so he could see what needed to be done, and he could follow through on that with the right motivation. All of that was lost through the fall into sin. The canons go on to say that man deprived himself of these excellent gifts, and the result was that he brought blindness on himself. He lost direction in all areas of life. He sinned, and he continues to sin. And now question and answer 54 brings the gospel into that. It says, God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins, nor my sinful nature against which I have to struggle all my life, but will graciously grant me the righteousness of Christ that I may never come into condemnation. So the gospel is forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. Christ paid for all of our sins on the cross. Through faith we are joined to Christ. We are Christ's members. We have communion with him, and that means that we share in all his treasures and gifts. There are inexhaustible treasures and gifts 
and riches in Christ. So this means two things. First, as a member of Christ, I'm restored to his service. Second, it is not possible to be a church member without gifts. In other words, if you are truly joined to Christ by faith, you have gifts. There is no such thing as a church member without gifts. So what are these gifts? Our reading gives two lists. First one is in verse 8. It refers to wisdom, knowledge, and so on, faith. And the second list is in verse 28. So if you look at these two lists, they are quite different. The list in verses 8 through 10 is quite, quite different from the list in 28. And if you look at the things described as gifts in the other parts of the New Testament, they are different again. Paul writes, uh, wrote a different letter to the Romans. Romans 12, verse 6 through 8, has a different list again. His list inclu- there includes prophesying, serving, teaching, exhorting, contributing financially, giving leadership, acts of mercy. So, so the point is that these lists that you find here and in other places are not exhaustive. God gives even more gifts than what you find in these lists. There's an inexhaustible treasury of gifts in Christ. Now, having said that, not all of them apply anymore today. Verse 28 of our reading, for example, refers to apostles. God has appointed in the church first apostles. The apostles were people who personally saw Christ. Once they died, that office no longer existed in the church. And to some degree, you could say the same thing about prophets, right? At least prophets in the sense of people who give new revelation. We have all of the books of the Bible. The canon is complete. There is nothing that needs to be added to it anymore. So prophecy in that sense has ceased. And you could also, in in terms of gifts that have been discontinued, you could also include the various kinds of tongues. It seems that those were known languages. Certainly the case in Acts chapter 2. Some of those gifts were necessary at the founding of the New Testament church to get it going. But after that, they were no longer necessary. Today, the gospel in one form or another has been heard in most parts of the world, so the gift of tongues is no longer necessary. And apparently, some people at that time had genuine gifts of healing as well, and those too served to promote the spread of the gospel. Other gifts are more familiar to us today. We can relate to them better. Looking back at verse 8, it refers to the utterance of wisdom. And the utterance of knowledge. Wisdom and knowledge are things that you find in different concentrations in believers today. And a related gift is the ability to distinguish between spirits. As it says a verse later. It says in verse 10, To another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits. And for the first letter of John chapter 4 Verse 1 calls us to test the spirits to see where they are, whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. So some people have a really keenly honed sense of doctrinal discernment, and that's a gift that they have. Another gift we can relate to is a gift of faith, mentioned in verse 9. Now, obviously this cannot refer to saving faith, because every believer has saving faith by definition. But this is a different kind of faith. 
The kind of faith that you could classify as an extraordinary confidence in God. One example of this kind of faith is a, in the life of a man named George Mueller, a believer who ran an orphanage in England in the 19th century. Mueller ran his entire ministry on prayer. He never requested financial support, but he would pray about an existing need, and then he would wait for people to meet that need. And as a result, he was able to care for about 10,000 orphans during his lifetime. That requires an unusual amount of faith. Such faith is a special gift, and you do see that from time to time. Another gift that we see often is the gift of administration, mentioned in verse 28, refers to the gift of administration, gifts of healing, helping, helping, and then administrating. So all of these things fall under the category of gifts. Not all of them are specifically what we would call um, the, the extraordinary spiritual gifts. And again, the list here is not exhaustive. Like it says in verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Everybody has gifts. Now, there are some people, there were some people back then, and there are people now today who think that these gifts only apply to the office bearers. In other words, these people believe that your gift does not count unless, you are an, unless you're an office bearer. Or, to put it differently, office bearers have the majority of the gifts, and the rest of the congregation is there to benefit from them. But people that are in office now are not in office all the time. And the gifts that they have came before they entered into their office. In fact, the reason why they um, were voted into office in the first place was because of those gifts. So office bearers are not the only people who have gifts. Every believer has gifts. Every believer has gifts, but not all gifts are public. The gift of administration in verse 28, for example, seems to be a low-key kind of a gift. More people have that kind of a gift other people are really good at organizing logistics. Those are gifts that are exercised outside of the public eye. They, they are not high-profile gifts, but they're necessary. They're very valuable. As a matter of fact, the whole point of verses 21 to 24 is that the gifts that are obvious and public don't need any extra special treatment. Instead, it is the gifts that are hidden and private that we should pay close attention to. Because we are all members of Christ's body, every one of us has gifts. Every gift has its own function. Every gift has its own place. Every gift has its own role. And that is why it is such a mistake to rank one gift against another. That was a problem in the Corinthian church. They were ranking gifts against each other in order of importance. It's a little bit like many Pentecostals today who, who think that the gift of speaking in tongues is the most important gift that a Christian can have. And then we don't even need to get into the discussion of, of whether or not their idea of speaking in tongues is actually what the Bible means when it refers to speaking in tongues. But apart from that whole question, you cannot say that one gift ranks higher than another. Our passage clearly refutes that. Because we're all members of Christ's body, we all have gifts. Every gift has its own role to play in the functioning of the body. And then to focus on one gift to the exclusion of others misses the point. 
The point is we need each other. To put it even more strongly, the whole body suffers when people don't step up to the plate to use their gifts. For example, in some churches you see the same group of members on every committee. You see the same people organizing every social event or volunteering at every church function or doing all sorts of other things. And it's wonderful that all these people are so faithful using their gifts, but the question is, where is everyone else? Where is everyone else? If we're all members of Christ's body, we all have gifts. That also means none of us are dispensable. The body of Christ needs you. Verse 27 makes that clear. It says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You are the body of Christ. The body needs you as individual members, but you also need the body. You do not have a complete set of gifts. Did you know that? If you've ever wondered, well, why, how come I don't have this gift, but I do have that one? I would have loved to have this gift, but I ended up with this one instead. That's by design. That's by design. You need to be completed through the body, through the local church community to which you belong. And you might, you might feel like you don't need anyone, but that would be like the eyes saying to the hand, I don't need you, or the head saying to the feet, I don't need you. We do need each other. In fact, so much so that sometimes one gift cannot function without the other. There's a a particularly interesting example of this in verse 10 of this passage. Look at this. It says, um, verse 10, to another is given the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits. And now look at this. To another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. One person gets the gift of tongues, and the other one the, the gift of interpreting the tongues. And you would think, well, why split it up like that? Why can't you have one person with both gifts? Wouldn't that make more sense? But the point is they both need each other. They both need to learn from each other. You are a member of this church of Mandajong by design. You're a member of this body of Christ. God put you here by His providence. It was not an accident that you were here this afternoon. It wasn't random. So be sensitive to God's providence. Be sensitive to where God's providence has put you in relation to the rest of the body. God did not only redeem you. He did not only give you gifts for your own use. He put you into this local manifestation of the body of Christ. And he gave you gifts to use here. We're all members of Christ's body. We all have gifts. And because we are members of Christ's body, we're also called to use our gifts. We'll look at that next. Now, maybe at this point you are convinced. You believe that as a member of Christ's body, you have gifts. But now comes a difficult question. How do you identify your gifts? How, how do you know what your gifts are? Well, it comes back down to that question of providence, right? You need to believe that God has put you in this church by His providence. If you don't believe that, then it will be much more difficult to understand verse 18 of our reading. Because verse 18 says, 
As it is, God arranged the members of the body. You see that? God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. God arranged it this way. Verse 18 calls us to recognize the importance of the local congregation and the role that we need to play in it. And if you don't believe that, then the underlying problem is not a problem of gifts. It's a deeper problem of faith. Maybe the reason you struggle with this is actually a struggle of faith. And then you need to turn to what the catechism says in question and answer 56. I believe that God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins, nor my sinful nature against which I have to struggle all my life, but will graciously grant me the righteousness of Christ, that I may never come into condemnation. That is the gospel of Christ's forgiveness for all of your sins. Do you think that Christ's forgiveness is wasted? Do you really believe that he would forgive you, that he would put you in a local congregation and then leave you alone to to figure things out and not put you to work in his kingdom? Do you really believe that? Because the fact is, Christ has given you gifts. If you don't believe that, then ask your friends. What am I good at? Ask the people you trust. Do you see any opportunities where I can serve here? Another indication is to find the things that you enjoy. If gifts are the things that you're good at, they're often also the things that you enjoy. Maybe you're no good at balancing numbers, but you're good at chairing meetings. Maybe you're no good at chairing meetings, but you're really good at administrative work. Maybe you can fill in your own example here. The list goes on. Find out what you're good at and then serve in that capacity. What if you're truly convinced that you have no gifts at all? Well, then you need to have another look at the reading because your view is not biblical. Verse 4 through 7 make it, makes it particularly clear. It can't be any more clear than this. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. There's no exceptions. And there's another question you need to ask yourself as well. Do you really believe that you have no gifts or is this a question of laziness? Maybe even self-pity. It's a hard question, maybe a confrontational one, but it needs to be asked. Our passage is, is prompting us to ask this. Look at verses 15 through 16. The foot says... Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. And the ear says, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It sounds like both of them are whinging. Instead of saying, I am a member of Christ's body and therefore I have a gift, they are saying, I don't have a gift and therefore I am not a member of Christ's body. That's backwards. If you're feeling weak in your gifts, this passage is telling you, get to work anyway. We should ask ourselves, are we gift producers or are we gift consumers? It's entirely possible for us to be always consuming the fruit of other people's labors without ever contributing anything of our own. And you do find people like that in church life sometimes. They have all kinds of opinions on how things are done in church, but they rarely step in themselves to to do something. 
And our reading this afternoon doesn't let us do that. It says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. It's challenging us to do this out of love for the body. And it's no coincidence that chapter 13, the chapter on love, follows chapter 12 on serving the body. And don't think that this applies only to confessing members. Our youth are gifted as well. This passage challenges our younger brothers and sisters as well. And it says to you, what are you doing to develop your gifts? How does it influence things like your career choices or your educational choices? The things that you're devoting your lives to, whatever they may be, are these things that you can put to work in the church? Parents, what are you doing to encourage the formation of gifts in your children? Are you encouraging them to develop their gifts? When they wonder what they should do with the rest of their lives, are you encouraging them to develop gifts that can be put to work in the church as well? Are you encouraging them to love the church? This generation does not need more people following their dreams. It doesn't need more people that go out on a mission to save the world. All we need, the thing that we need most of all, is people that love their church and that show up. That's all we need. If enough people do that, that makes a difference. People who love the church and who want to share that love with others. Because we're all members of Christ's body, we must all use our gifts. But it's difficult to do that sometimes. For instance, we might be afraid to use our gifts because they might be rejected. It's very disheartening when you use your gifts for the church and someone else criticizes your work. Very discouraging for a member to put a lot of work into a committee or into some sort of a church function and then have someone else come along and and criticize that while offering no encouragement. It's especially disheartening if it was a labor of love that cost a lot of time and energy. And if you're on the receiving end of that sort of criticism, it's a moment of testing. It's a challenge. It's an opportunity to ask yourself, why am I doing what I do? Am I doing this out of a sense of obligation? Am I doing it out of a desire for recognition? Or am I doing this because I love the Lord? Those are the opportunities for us to examine our motives. Sometimes we can be defensive. And when we feel that defensiveness, we should remember, ultimately, our gifts do not define who we are. Also not in church. Our gifts do not define who we are. Our identity does not depend on our gifts. Our identity does not depend on how often we use them. Our identity doesn't even depend on whether or not other people accept our gifts. Our identity lies in our union with Christ. That's what the catechism reminds us of. It says we have communion with him. We share in all his treasures and gifts. That's where your identity lies. And no one can touch that. And it's helpful to know that also when we're on the receiving end of other people's gifts. Sometimes we're in a position where we need to receive service from others. Gifts of help, gifts of love. 
And we receive them, and sometimes we receive them knowing that we cannot give back. Not now, maybe not ever. That can be difficult. Sometimes it feels easier to refuse help from others because it feels like we will have to repay them one day. But that mindset is wrong. It's wrong. It's not about paying each other back. As long as we still think in those transactional terms, we have not understood the concept of the church as the body of Christ. The feet does not demand payment for the head, from the head for, for having carried it. The feet are not going to pay the eyes for, for looking at the road. That's not how these things work. The whole mindset is based on a misunderstanding of what the church is. The church is the body of Christ. It's about Him. We are all members of Christ. That means we support each other and we are willing to be supported without turning everything into a transaction. There's a time and a place for everything, including a time to receive support. So when other members of the body offer you their gifts, don't turn them down. Don't say, I'm okay, when really you're not. They need you to receive their gifts. And it goes for people who struggle with long-term illness or disability as well. You are still part of the body, even when you are struggling, even when you're unwell. God is teaching other members things through you. Now, you might challenge that statement. You might wonder, what could God possibly be teaching other members through me? Well, maybe he's bringing out gifts that they didn't realize they had. Maybe he's teaching them how to minister to you. Maybe he's teaching you something as well. Maybe he's teaching you to recognize and to value the gifts that these other people have. And if nothing else, maybe he's teaching you to repent from pride. But even if that were not the case, he's building relationships in the body through these gifts. That's how members grow close to each other in the body. It's through serving each other. It's not just by sitting side by side in the pew Sunday after Sunday and then going home. Because we're members of Christ's body, we must use our gifts in service of each other. And that's how we grow closer to each other. But then we must also understand that our value in the body does not depend on our gifts. Our value in the body depends on who we are in Christ. He loved this church enough to die for her. And now through His Spirit, He gives gifts to us as members. He gives us gifts not so that we can be His members. He gives us gifts because we are His members. So we share in all of His treasures and gifts. And that means this church has tremendous potential. Yes, we can be frustrated with the church sometimes. And yes, probably not all of the members are living up to their full potential. But you know what? That is reason for hope, not frustration, because it means that more is possible. And under God's blessing, it is and will be, and we will grow in using the gifts that he has given us. Amen.